moves freely between the surreal, silly, and violent, but it's never better than when it's testing the boundaries of taste when it comes to empowerment and misogyny. Allison Wilmore of New York Magazine slash Vulture, she's talking about Bottoms, which is a new film. That's right. If you were thinking to yourself, you know what? Whatever happened to lesbian teen comedies? I've got the answer for you. I went and saw Bottoms. I paid $17 for it. I'll tell you all about it. That's our new film this week. Our old film is Parasite. Recently, I blatantly lied to David Sampson. We were talking about the movie Parasite, and he said, well, anybody who ever sees that one, how many times have you seen it, Burke? I said three times. Of course, I was lying. I've only ever seen it once. So I watched it again. I'll watch it a third time. So Samson never asked me again. I'll say, no, I've actually now seen it three times. I watched it for the first time since it came out back in 2019. I loved it as much as I did when it first came out. Still don't think it should have won Best Picture of the Irishman, but Cody will point out, and the rest of you will point out, I'm kind of biased when it comes to Martin Scorsese. Meantime, our special guest, our wild card, my main man, Cabral Richards, a dear, dear friend of mine, back to our first days at Ryerson University. We're talking about a film that you and I both love. It's called Get on the Bus. We're huge fans of Spike Lee. I rewatched it. I thought it was the 25th anniversary. It's actually the 27th anniversary. Screw it. It's a 27th anniversary. Get on the bus. You're going to love Cabby. He's really funny and he's got great stories. And uh, he's a huge fan of the Dan Levitard show. So he asks some questions that Cody has always wanted to ask. He also, we talked favorite sports documentaries. He's had a couple of uh, whoppers in there. His, his memory for a couple of these is fantastic, including a very notable boxer. He didn't give me any softballs, by the way. Like, I just want, I want to tease the interview a little bit. I had to yeah. no comment him once. Well, he said to me, he goes, how do you want to do this? And I said, well, I want to do Spike and got on the bus for 10, 15 minutes. Let's do sports docs. He had suggested that. I said, yeah. He goes, untold. There's all these docs going on right now that the show talks about. He goes, and I said, but you're such a huge Levitard fan. I go, dude, ask Cody some stuff that you want to ask him. Like, I'm sure there's burning questions. Like, all right. And you're right. He came at you with a 98 mile an hour four seamer. He was, he was not best. I don't have was, eyebrows. <laughs> it was not like a, tell me what Roy Bellamy is really like. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to ask you some real questions and he's going to be coming to Miami. Whenever Moss is happening, he's going to be my plus one. So let's make sure, uh, I'm sure Moss Miami will be happening at some point. Details to come. Speaking of uh, big moments, proof that God doth have a sense of humor. The first game of the World Series is when? October 27th. I went to my boss the other day. I said, hey, uh, just want to check and I'm going to the World Series. He's like, yeah, I'm like, awesome. I, I haven't been yet on behalf of the network. It's only my third World Series ever. Um, as an employee, Cab and I actually went to the World Series. I should have told that story back in 2000. We, we drove down from Toronto, went to the Subway Series. Game three, we saw the Mets beat the Yankees. And two rows in front of us was Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon. Oh, and wow. again, if you listen to the interview, you'll see me and Cab are both very loud always. So Tim Robbins liked us. He's high-fiving us with Benny Ugbiani. He's like driving in the game-winning run. Um, that I went to as a fan. I covered for ESPN 2013-2014. 2013 Red Sox Cardinals with your boy Aaron Boone. He and I traveled back and forth. And then 2014 was Giants Royals. I only did the San Francisco portion, which is fine. All disrespect to the all due respect to the people listening in Kansas City. Yeah, I was happy to go to San Francisco, but I haven't been since then. I've been to World Series since 2014. So I checked in the boss. I got you're going. I'm like, awesome. So I'm already looking. I go, God, I, I love Baltimore. I love Camden Yards. I love crab cakes. God, that would be great. I said, Baltimore, L.A. I'm never going to turn down L.A. Probably going to be Braves. Maybe it's Mariners, Astros. Eh. And then I go and somebody sends me. And this is one of the reasons Chris was right. It was good. That I did not get rid of social media entirely. I just rarely check it. Right. Instagram once a day. I mean, I show oh, Lucy went to a college football game. Great. I'm good. Juju posts a lot. Oh, Dan posted today about the Dolphins. You guys have a clip there talking about Tua. Excellent. So I'm, I'm abreast of things, but now that I've turned off the notification, it's been great. But here's where social media is helpful. The other day I went on Twitter, hadn't been on a couple of days, and someone got on there, is slending my DMs, Robert F. Cowper, who occasionally messes me, he goes, I don't know if you saw this, and I hadn't seen it. So I'm like, thanks for the heads up. Although it was heart crushing. Absolutely devastating. October 27th, which is the same day as game one of the World Series, the Montclair Film Festival, which of those who don't know Jersey geography is about 30 minutes from where I live, home of Harold Reynolds and now Aaron Rodgers and Stephen Colbert. 
Stephen Colbert likes to be active in the community. So as part of the Montclair Film Festival, Stephen Colbert's special guest is none other than, take take one guest, Cody. If you had to guess one guest, who would it be that Adnan really loves? It can't be Marty. It's Marty. Oh, my God. <laughs> what are the odds? October 27th, Game 1 of the World Series, a special night with Martin Scorsese, hosted by Stephen Colbert at the Montclair Film Festival. <laughs> Did you, like, email your boss, like, oh, maybe yeah. I don't go to Game 1. <laughs> maybe I go for Game 2. Yeah, I'm more like a Games 3, 4, and 5. Like, I'll just do the road team. Like, it's fine. I don't really go. So I already told my wife, and everyone listening, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm open for suggestions. I said, you've got to go. I said to my wife, you're going to have to go and get a sitter for the boys and just just record it. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. Like, there's, You're smarter than I am. Just take your phone out and just record the entire interview for me. I don't know. She goes, well, I don't know if you can do that. I'm like, of course. Listen, surreptitiously, you subtly just, <clears throat> bam, you can record the whole thing. She goes, well, I'll have to be close enough. I thought they have things set up. I don't know. We have to talk to Bimler or someone like, hey, can somehow metal art pull some strings? Can we get a microphone so Adnan like, can be a part of this? I like the idea of your wife covering it. Yeah, You're I'm not like, covering you, it. Adnan's right. wife covering it. Yeah, you cover it and you figure out what happened because I got to see it. I mean, Marty, it's unbelievable. Um, Killers Maybe of the I'll Flower go. Movie. Maybe I go on your behalf. That's not a bad idea. You come up and see some of Christie's family I'll here in Jersey. I'll the shit out of that thing. <laughs> You're not going to miss a thing, buddy. Enjoy game one of the World Series. Here's what Marty had to say. The question here from Cinephile. Imagine that they do a Q&A. Oh, my God, we got, a, we got a Cinephile question. Holy crap. Killers of the Flower Moon, by the way, coming out October 20th. So it does make sense, Marty. But it actually doesn't make sense. I'm like, wait, how, how did Colbert hook up Marty? That's unbelievable. Like, uh, what are the odds he's going to be at the Montclair Film Festival the same night as Game One of the World Series? It's it's mind-numbing. All right, let's do a little movies quickly. I want to get to Cap because he and I went long as always, but it's fun. I promise you. Bottoms. I looked at the movies this week. I go, what am I going to go see? And I go, oh, hey, a lesbian teen comedy. I'm in. My buddy Tyler Corner texts me because, dude, it's really funny. I'm like, okay, here's the story. Two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. It stars Rachel Sinat and Ayo Edibiri. My sister-in-law is visiting us right now, and I told her the other day, I'm going to go see a movie. She's like, what are you going to see? I'm like, it's this lesbian teen comedy. Like, have fun. And I said, who's in it? I'm like, I don't know anybody. And I go and see the movie. It's, it's a complete no-name of cast, uh, with the exception of, and this is shocking, with the NFL now back, the teacher playing Mr. G is none other than Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. Like, I'm watching, I go, oh, my God, Marshawn Lynch is in this movie. I saw the clip that you're talking about of him. I was like, is that is he, like, in a sitcom? I guess it's this movie. Yeah, so it's Bottoms. And, I, I mean, I don't think he's doing any publicity. He's not an actor. So, technically, the actor strike, I don't think, would impact Marshawn Lynch. So, open invite. Doesn't seem like the type who'd want to come on the file. But he's really funny in the movie. But the, the movie kind of harkens back to 80s, 90s comedies. Like, Ty Burry, good, good repute. He's like, it's like one of those, like, you know, you call it stewcoms. Like, you know, it's like a stupid comedy sitcom. He's like, that's really what the movie's about. But I, I thought it was enjoyable. It's kind of one note. Like after a while, I'm like, okay, basically it's just there are two lesbians who end up starting a fight club, which is supposed to be for empowerment of women, just so they can meet hot cheerleaders and then hopefully get down with them. So it's not like unlike uh, you know Porky's or something where you got like two straight guys who are trying to meet women who are like, all right, how can we get these girls? So it, it's it's a it's a tried and true formula, but of course haven't really seen it like this. And while I'm watching it, again, I don't remember any of the cast, but one of the cheerleaders for being honest here, is quite attractive. So afterwards, I text Tyler, my buddy TK, and he goes, what do you think? I go, listen, I, I, the ending is wildly over the top. I, I, I don't even want to tell anybody. Just if you want to see Bottoms, go see it. The ending is just so pushing the boundaries. I don't even know how to describe it. It, it makes Sausage Party look tame by comparison. But it, it's, it hits all the familiar beats you'd expect of a teen comedy, right? They meet the girls. They don't meet the girls. They fall in love. They don't. The, 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 uh, the, basically, the men are the bad guys here. The guys who are in the football team, they're a bunch of jerks. But anyways, the one cheerleader, I go, you know, and he goes, you know, that is. I'm like, no, I goes, Cindy Crawford's daughter. I'm like, really? Kaya Gerber. 
who, and now that he said it, she's a dead, Google it right now, Cody, dead ringer for Sydney Crawford. Matter of fact, if you Google Sydney Crawford and Kaya Gerber, do that, and you'll see them side by side. Yeah, hello. Cody's expression is telling me exactly what you need to see. So Big fan, big fan. Fantastic actress. Go see Bottoms if you is like she a good dating, Is she tell. dating Gerard, uh, the butler guy? It's got to be somebody famous. My wife is going to know. He's somebody very rich and very handsome and very famous. I think it's Butler. It's the Elvis guy. Yeah, yeah, yes, it is. It is Austin, Austin Butler. Butler. Yeah, Gerard, yeah. Gerard, a little old for although hey, congrats to Gerard. But it is indeed <laughs> Austin Butler who is handsome and a little bit more age appropriate. Uh, again, I'll give Bottoms two and a half Maple Leafs. It had some funny moments. It's short, which I liked, 90 minutes. But to be honest, this is more like a Friday night with the buddies. Cody and Stugatz, you know, lighting up a J. Like, this is kind of the movie you put on at 11 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, let's watch Bottoms. It's kind of a stupid, silly comedy. But again, it takes chances, and uh, it's certainly unwavering. The ending is very, very over the top. All right, and quickly on Parasite. Grade and class discrimination threatened the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. Bong Joon-ho. Samson's point when we were debating was that you see it once, and once you know the hook, you won't watch it again. I can never give him credit. He kind of has a point, but I watched it again and loved it. And I think it helped. I didn't see it in four years. Uh, as I've told people on the pod, I recently rewatched The Irishman. By the way, I reached out to Adam Amin of Fox Sports. He called uh, the game yesterday Commanders with Mark Schlereth. And Amin loves The Irishman as much as I do. So I said, you got to come on the pod here because people are tired of me talking about The Irishman. He goes, dude, anytime. So Adam Amin is coming on in October to tell you why The Irishman is brilliant. If you remember 2019, it was Parasite versus The Irishman. It was Bong Joon-ho versus Marty. And Bong Joon-ho won the Best Director Oscar. And Irishman actually got to shut up for 10 nominations. But Long story short, Parasite is still fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. The first half is really engrossing because it shows the lives of these people are basically infiltrating the rich. And basically what Bong Joon-ho is really showing is the battle between the rich and the poor in Korea. And the Park family is the rich ones. And of course, the Kims are the poor ones. And the Kims quickly realize, all right, well, we'll have the teenage daughter be a tutor. We'll have the uh, the son can be a tutor. The husband can be the driver for the rich guy. The mom can be like the nanny. And we'll just infiltrate their family and eventually take over. And so the first hour is engrossing because it sows the seeds of discontent. And then it gets the scene. And again, if you haven't seen it, I still don't want to spoil it. When there's a knock at the door. And it's pouring outside and the wealthy Park family's away. And the person who answers says, hey, I'm the former homeowner. I used to take care of the house for them. You know, I just need I just need to come in. I forgot one thing. The scene where she goes and the mom goes and sees her literally like horizontal, trying to open the door like what? And the camera goes flying down in the basement and you see the underground tunnel. That's when the movie goes bonkers. Like on the first hour alone, you're like, oh, Parasite's a smart movie. That second hour, it's just berserk. And it's uh, berserk in a good way. If you can't tell by my enthusiasm, it takes a lot of chances and it's unforgettable. And I still don't want to spoil it in case you haven't seen Parasite. Chris, did you watch Parasite? I don't think you did. You did see no, Parasite. No, I did. I did yeah, see okay. it. Yeah. But loved it. It. again, I loved it, right? Because it's just it, it, so unexpected the way it's going. And anytime yeah. you can see a movie that's so unexpected, think of how many movies you and I have seen. After a while, it gets predictable. This was unpredictable. This was wildly original. And that's what uh, made me watch it a few years ago because I was like, all right, everyone's talking about this. I, I know there's something coming, but I didn't right. get it spoiled for me. It was just great. Yeah, was not expecting what happens in the tunnel. And then the ending is just bonkers as there's murder and mayhem and, and a really genuinely touching final finale there as the narration goes as the son is lamenting about his father. You should go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's streaming available right now on Max, Bob Mundell of NPR. Let's just say that by Parasite's conclusion, what started out as a comedy of manners has become a furious snarl of rage and his most arresting social satire yet. And Andrew O'Hear, it isn't an easy ride. And as with life in the non-metaphorical world, the destination is uncertain. You'll see strange and wonderful things along the way. Parasite gets four beliefs. Uh, before we get to our special guest, a couple of blurbs here on Get on the Bus. 
Todd McCarthy variety, a vital regeneration of a filmmaker's talent, as well as embracing an often very funny dramatization of urgent socio-political themes. And Janet Maslin of New York Times, while the film assembles a full array of blackmail stereotypes and conimes them to essentially a talky one-set play, Mr. Lee stylistically jumpstarts the small, earnest film in every way he can. Get on the bus. Let's get on this bus with one of my dear, dear friends. Twenty-seven years ago, this month commemorates the friendship of me and our special guest today. A friendship born out of more than a few commonalities: a love of sports, fondness for movies. As we both soon after worked as movie ushers, loud, obnoxious laughter, most importantly, mocking our fellow classmates with derision at Ryerson's Radio and Television Arts. Our careers in broadcasting began as interns at the Score Television Network. We're in a sea of imitators. Cabral Richards stood up to be a true original. Cabby on the street became a sensation. An instant hit with the athletes who Cabby molested and the fans who laughed uproariously at his creative and colorful antics. To SportsCenter, NBXL, TSN, and Cabby Presents, Bleacher Report, Kelly and Vegas are now back to SportsCenter as an executive in charge of gambling content and a mainstay on the signature sports show, Hockey Night in Canada. Cabby has remained true to his roots and as industrious as ever and most importantly a supporter of this cinephile a secret weapon for background and interviewing Antoine Fuqua and someone who will take me to task for lavishing praise and walk the line as the best picture of 2005 but we'll always agree on the greatness of David effing Mamet and Spike Lee joints the latter is our topic today He's interviewed Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Jeter, Will Smith, Will Ferrell, Drake, Kevin Hart, many more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Cabral Richards. Welcome to Cinephile, my man. You are very generous with your introduction. That was that was phenomenal. One correction, though. Molested? That is a charged <laughs> word. Accosted? More appropriate than molested. Come on, dude. On a recent voice note, you said you gave me credit for the word measured, which I think I said in reference to George Clooney and the American. Yes. And I said, well, I give you credit for the word pederast, which I'd never heard of before. Then you would refer to our teachers in school. Charles and Mary, oh as, a, as a pederast. Dude. Yo, listen, you're you're this is way too beyond like uh uh, behind the curtain, man. Like you're just like, yes, we used to make fun of our, t our classmates, but like, you're just immediately telling the audience, like this guy is either a reformed a-hole <laughs> or still a capital A a-hole. Man, never, I didn't, I didn't think you, never. This, this is too much transparency for the audience. Bro. It perhaps it perhaps is. But in true transparency, Cab is a huge Levitard fan. So I'm just thrilled at the very least you and Chris Cody are chatting for the first yep. time today. You're as big a fan of the Levitard show as exists in Canada. So what is it about the Dan Levitard show that strikes you to your core? Camaraderie, humor. The Levitard show is a trendsetter in all of sports radio. It's the sports radio show that refuses to acknowledge it's a sports radio show. And sometimes it's a parody of a sports radio show, uh, but it's it's like hot. It's, and that's sort of the high concept. It's like your favorite, one of your favorite television shows, the Larry Sanders show, nice. which is like, it's a TV show, but it's really about the crew, the cast and the crew behind the scenes. Right. And Levitard show is very much like that and the the characters are really colorful there are more characters in the mix now uh but it's it's I, the lebertar show came on my radar in dan's because of dan's first rant when the lebron rant. james that's where signed everybody. with the that that was that was the the trigger point and that was in 2010 i was like this is hilarious and <laughs> you know with the operatic music and it was i don't know somewhere between eight and ten minutes and dan it was uh 
banger. Like it, it was like the Nas's Illmatic. Like the first record was it was like art or a masterpiece. Hard to top it. But he they he then did write other uh rants and they were as funny, but that first one was just like it was a grand slam bottom of the ninth uh in the World Series. It was just unbelievable. That is by far the biggest thing that has like grown our audience. I swear that's the number one thing oh. I hear when people discovered us. It's these rants, man. Well, that was the first one. So, Cody, I have a couple questions for you about Levitard Show, and What's if you up? will indulge me, I'd like to. Now, if they're too uncomfortable, just take a pass, which is fine. <laughs> but I'll start with like an easy one first because okay. I've always I've been curious about a couple of things. So, first one is, when did you start blending the first letter? Uh, and a word of a phrase. So, for example, couch potato, you would just say off off mic, potato. Yeah. So I don't know when you started that, but when did you start that? I, that's a good question. I, I don't think we've been able to locate the original. Uh, people think that I literally invented that, like combining words. You'll go to a restaurant and you'll see someone's murder, their mash burger. You know what I mean? And people tweet me like, hey, they're stealing your stuff. And it's like, guys, I did not create the mashing of words. Did I make it popular? Yes. Did yes. I bring it to the mainstream? Yes. I, mean, yes. I deserve a lot of credit here. I don't want to. It's just people think I literally invented that. And it is big, my biggest claim to fame, that and getting laid off by ESPN. Well, that's a tough one. Um, okay. Speaking of like paying and stuff, because afterwards, I mean, Levitard, he had said that uh, then you, he out of pocket, you were, yeah. you know, uh, you continued as an associate producer yeah. on the show. And now everybody's under the Metal Arc uh, umbrella and everybody's copacetic, I'm assuming. Um, yeah. Did, to your knowledge, did Stugatz ever pay off? or pay Billy Gill for his <laughs> contributions on that Sunday radio show on like 790 the ticket, like call it 10 years ago, did he actually pay his due? Now, if Stugatz was here right now and asked that question, he would say, oh, buddy, definitely paid him. He's, we're even, we're good. We're, we're, we've never been better, Billy and I. If you talk to Billy about it, he got enough. He got enough that he's just like, look, I got enough that I'm just going to let him, I'm going to forget about it. You know what I mean? It's just wow. like he owed him this much and he gave him that much. So he's like, you know what? Am I really going to cry over this? Like, I, I don't know that I don't know the answer to your question, but I would guess that he paid him, but there's probably still a little bit that he owes if I had to bet. It was like, if memory serves correct, it was like 20 or 25 G's. Like it was a substantial amount. So if Stugatz got to 75% or 80%, I understand Billy was just like, I'm just going to cut my losses because this guy, it's bit, it was 2012. It was, I don't know, it was like seven to nine on a Sunday. Imagine waking up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday to do a radio show with Stugatz. And he's just, he's just taking calls because it, because that was, that's part of his, his laziness, as I've heard from Dan. It's like, I'm going to let the audience, the viewers, uh, produce the show and we're just going to take, you know, 11 callers per hour. So I only have to talk on the mic for four minutes. He loves a hacky game. Like when they used to do a four hour radio show, Dan would leave for the fourth hour. So it just became either Stugatz interviewing Mike Ryan. That's what we called that, that hour or Stugatz would take phone calls and play three and only three with the audience where people have a chance to do their top. It was just Stugatz. It's lazy. That's what it was. I, and I'm sorry that I'm hijacking the cinephile because this is this is very inside baseball. All the stuff I'm asking you about Levertard show. Um, now this one is probably the most indelicate. So is this something now, to do with Ron McGill? No, okay, no, okay. Ron McGill is a saint. He's okay. a patron saint. Love, we love Ron McGill. Yeah. Before you guys branded the company Metal Lark, there was sort of a 
three to four month period. The pirate. I don't want to call it in limbo, but you guys were just kind of figuring out what the new business was going before to the be. Draft, before the DraftKings deal, we were we were on a pirate ship, the way we called it. <laughs> yeah, the pirate ship, uh, the shipping container, brilliant. I love all that. Um, there was a uh, Lebertard AMA, and one of and like from the Lebert like the Lebertard Reddit community, which is which is yes. big and influential. Mark from Reddit. Yep, I know the guy. Mark from. Now there was a question that Dan refused to answer. The question was, what happened with Dan and Mark Hockman, the original producer of the Dan Lebertard show with Stu Gatz and Mark later then became and Mark Hockman. I remember one episode, Dan said, I didn't even know that was the new imaging. I didn't even know the title of the show changed to add Mark Hockman. Okay. So it's, that is sort of the macro. And I, if I have this correctly, Dan did not invite Hockman to his wedding, but Hockman had invited Dan to his wedding years before, correct? Yeah, well, Dan was in his wedding. Yeah, like Dan, Dan was, was like one of his groomsmen, yeah. You're putting, so I'm I, not going to lie. You're putting me in an awkward spot here. Uh, I don't okay, really okay. – <laughs> I okay, don't know okay. the specifics of their friendship. I know that he left our show. He was the, the, the EP of our show, and then he left because he wanted to go be a host somewhere, and uh, I believe that they have fallen apart. I don't think that – I don't think it's – like, I don't think it's hostile. I don't think it's, but I do think that they've drifted apart. But I honestly don't know, like, the last time they spoke and stuff like okay. that. And I don't know. That Way I, to bring the heat, Richards. I love this. And most importantly, <laughs> well, no, Chris, I, wasn't, <laughs> it, it, I, didn't, I didn't want to, like, it, but those are just so, it's, that is like one of the bigger questions that have never been answered publicly, of course, because right. of the sensitivities of the relationship and Dan's. Dan is very open with the audience. Like, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, he shared that his brother passed. Um, but that specific one, he's never addressed publicly. So I'm sorry to put you in a tough spot, Chris Cody. No, the good news is whenever Moss happens, Cav is going to be my plus one. So Cody, Cav is going to get his answer. We're going to dance with my closest uh, friends. Miami, I'm coming this year. You're coming this year. You right? That's still happening. doing it? Yeah, we're going to do happening? what I think. Uh, not, there's no date yet, but I, I have not heard that it's not happening. So okay, I would imagine it happens. Well, I, I would like is, to be there shaking yeah. 1200 random dudes like adult males hands like you guys do. <laughs> it's like a, it's like you guys are at the Super Bowl media week. You, Billy, Roy, uh. Mike Ryan, now Jessica and Lucy and Juju. You guys are like the you might as well just have your own podium because you're just going to be holding court. There should never be a line of 50 people waiting to take a picture with me. Like that's just hey, something well, that should never happen. Hey, Chris, you've earned it. Thank you. I have. I told you he was an avid fan. The last time I saw Cab, matter of fact, I had my initials on my dress shirt, and he was like, "Huh, oh, well, look at me, Louie. And I was like, oh, "It is, it is a little look at me, Louie. That, that's there's no question. That's about one of that. the best sounders. I, they, uh, like, it, and only people who know listen to yes. Levitar show know that reference. But look at me, Louie, and that's Mike Ryan who did the voice, right? Who did that look jingle? Look at me, Louie. That sounded. Uh, no, we have our like Andrew Streeter and Yeti are like we have these two diehard fans that have become quasi producers because we like they do musical stuff for us. So a lot of that musical imaging comes from these two listeners of our show. Oh, actually. wow. It's, it's phenomenal. And it was an Amin line. Amin was the first person to like start calling people, look at me, Louise. But then we, that, that made our audience get inspired to make the imaging. But uh, okay. look at, yeah, you know, this guy, this guy's good. This guy knows all his stuff. Before we get into Spike Lee, one more cab. You gotta, you gotta at least give your opinion on David Sams because he's well, about listen, as he's, about, dude, dude, a, he's listen. I know we're friends. So you're on my sub. He's about as insufferable as it gets. Fair. Yes. I think it was the first time you got here together, and you see, either Dan or someone asked you, or maybe David asked you, "Would you go to dinner with me?" And you, Vert, long pause. 
alone <laughs> or something like that that was a <laughs> suey nominee for uncomfortable moment <laughs> oh okay oh my just that moment just like by ourselves without like so uh yeah samson it seems to be pretty unsufferable who likes firing other people that was like, weird what that was like, the weirdest how- thing he ever admitted Right? He like, loves it. That, that gets your, I don't know, that puts a, a battery in your back, firing other people, like being the reason that other people are not gainfully employed and can't support their lifestyles and their families. Um, it is it is odd that in his time post Miami Marlins, this guy has enough time to watch a movie every single day. Yeah. That just seems so gluttonous. It's kind of unfair, Virk, when you and him talk movies because you have the eloquence and... Uh, you have the eloquence and the film knowledge to dissect. You could talk about friggin' duck soup for three minutes <laughs> the straight, Love it. right? Or or go to I don't know. You can you can speak eloquently about duck soup or friggin' Oppenheimer or <laughs> Gone with the Wind and I don't know Inception. I know I'm, I know I'm hitting two Chris Nolan movies, but right. it's really unfair. It would be like Billy Gill having a conversation about race relations against Bomani Jones. Like what? What are we doing here? Like it's 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 Mike Tyson versus Trevor Burbick or or uh, who was the first guy he fought he, when he was released from prison and he beat a guy in like ninety seconds? He beat a lot of people in ninety seconds, yeah, but yeah. basically a tomato can. So it's Leon not Spinks. fair. <laughs> Well, yeah, Spinks, Michael Spinks, I think he bit in, bit in 91 seconds. But yeah. you versus Samson is just not fair. Although Samson's picks are from the heart, I yeah. think. It's I think like- he likes a good cry. Because <laughs> usually in his top fives, yeah. unless it's like comedies like Steve Carell, comedies like Steve Martin, there's a movie that makes him cry. He likes a good cry. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely soft. There's no question about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, let's get on the bus, baby. So me and Cab. I thought I told Cab, I thought this was the 25th anniversary to get on the bus. I was off by a couple of years because this did come out first year Ryerson, which is where we went to college. And it came out in October. I thought it was September, whatever. Point is, we were watching this in college. It makes me think of you. It makes me think of college and our, our mutual love and admiration of Spike Lee. And it feels as timely as ever. I hadn't seen it in forever. I had to go on Amazon and buy it for 20 bucks. You have the DVD somewhere, but you watched it again on YouTube. Yeah, I found I found a stream because I couldn't find it on Prime, Netflix. Yeah, not streaming on- anywhere. No, I was on HBO. I was on Max, HBO Max, whatever. Yeah, I couldn't find it. So luckily someone had uploaded it in like a super low quality 480p. However, because the movie was shot on 16 millimeter and video, it kind of felt like, oh, this is what the movie is supposed to look like. And it didn't take away from my viewing experience. Let's talk first about our boy, Andre Brower. So recently, oh my goodness. <laughs> we're going right to Brower. No, because Bill Simmonson recently on the rewatch was like, I can't remember the context, but he said, you know, how race impacted Hollywood in the past. And he goes, well, a guy like Andre Brower, he goes, that guy is a great actor. Objectively speaking, if anybody watched Homicide in the 90s, as you know, I love was like, this guy is the best actor on TV. Like, how the hell did this guy never win an Academy Award? And you watch Glory, you watch Get on the Bus, like he's captivating out of the gate. And Get on the Bus is hilarious because he He's playing an actor who's self-absorbed and egotistical and takes umbrage at the fact there's a gay couple on the bus. And that, that's where Brower immediately is upset. He starts taunting the more effeminate man as Harriet Tubman. I mean, Brower is phenomenal in this movie at every single level. He's incredible. Yeah. And and so is Harry Lennox, too, who's the yes. actor who he's taunting right. uh, in the movie. Harry Lennox has done everything from Shakespeare to I think right now he was last scene in well he's he's like a great character actor i think he's 
he's got a care he's got a role on billions as um Condola Rashad's dad, who is Felicia Rashad, like um Claire Huxtable's daughter is on wow. billions, who was like worked in the AG's office with your guy, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, how great is which Giamatti? I know which have you had Giamatti on Cinephile yet or no? You just you met him at Park City, right? But you yeah. never we've never had him on the pod. We had him, he okay. ghosted us. It's very upsetting. Go ahead. Okay, got it. Um, but yeah, Brower, um, yeah, he's he's fine. Everybody's everybody's like very strong in this film. And I love that like Spike, he'll put like America is a melting pot, and the black community is we like to say that we're not a monolith. But there are some things we have monolithic views about. And he puts this mosaic of different types or, or different characters on this bus on a five-day journey from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. So, of course, there are going to be some combustible moments because we don't all just get along, even though we like to say that, hey, can we all just get along or whatever? Yeah. But it, it was um, it was it was captivating. There's like, you know, there's the father and the son. He's got the son on a handcuff because the son was out there doing dumb ish. And, you know, it's a court order like that, like having the the juxtaposition of like mentally being in chains and then fit and then literally seeing a young man in chains. So like like Spike saying, hey, we need to break from this mentality. You have the OG Ozzy Davis on the bus, yes. who is one of Spike's uh, favorite actors to work with, who worked on Do the Right Thing, among others. I kind of like, you know what I mentioned the shooting on like 16 and, and shooting on film. And it kind of gave this sort of documentary feel and documentaries in the nineties. I mean, j listen, this is kind of when they popped up on my radar. Cause before the nineties and really you'd have to go to the theater and which we did, we would go yeah. to the, like a movie that maybe we talk about later is, is when we were Kings as a, as a document. And like Michael Moore is probably the fame, most famous documentarian. And we'd have to see his movies in the theater. So it kind of, because of the way it was shot and because we're in such tight quarters and the conversations and the characters felt so authentic and they're going to a real world event, which happened one year prior. Like the movie was like, um, very top was, uh, it was yeah very topical, but it was put into production very quickly. And like it, yeah, it was released. I think, a year to the day of the Million Man March in 95 in DC, but it had that, that aesthetic and that feel by the way, because of the way it was written, gave it sort of a documentary sensibility. So it helped with its authenticity. No, I, agree. And I, I love the way that Spike shot it. Cause that could be very stagey, right? Just a bunch of brothers on a bus. He's like, no, I'm going to mess with the film stocks. I'll go handheld. I'll mix it up a little bit. How about Wendell Pierce? Because he's now known as Bunk on the Wire. And I totally right, forgot right. he's in this. He shows up as this Lexus dealer who wants to get a ride with these guys and then just ends up mother effing them all. Like he's he's this huge Republican. He's taunting the black community. He's dropping N-words with the, like Tarantino. At one point, he says, what do the one million lesbians and the one million man march have in common? Two million mother effers who don't do dick. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like he, at one point, he talks to the other guy. He goes, he goes, gay, black, and Republican. Now I've seen it all. I give Spike credit because he'll put in characters like that who are clearly there to antagonize the other principals mm -hmm. and the audience, but the, he is espousing some truths that at least this character believes are correct. There, there are some hard truths in the movie, and black Republicans, there are actually black Republicans, even though, you know, historically, well, since like the, I don't know, 60s, you know, the the black community in large has, has leaned more liberal. There are some black Republicans and, you know, maybe his character is like a proxy for some white sensibilities, basically, you know, casting aspersion on the rest of the bus. You guys are lazy. You guys don't do anything like there's, 
you know, he is an antagonist, but there's some hard truths. Like our community is very fractured and Spike puts them all on the bus and, you know, deals with issues, homophobia, self-identity, inequality, you know, low level crime, teen pregnant, teen pregnancy, um, you know, the, the gang culture, like it's all in there. So it's, it's like a mosaic of characters and then some melting pot of different things that plagues our community. And, you know, Spike, very heavy handed. Like there's nothing subtle about Spike Lee. It's like having a chainsaw in church. Like he's, you're going to get hit over the head. Not, not quite like, um, oh my gosh, what was the movie in 99? Um, that was shot on video. It was she a mockumentary. No, she, she hate me. It was pretty on the nose too. But, um, Michael Rappaport, I think was the executive. Oh, uh, bamboozled. Bamboozled. Boy, yeah. oh boy. That was like Thor's hammer just killing us like in the audience. Like, yeah, we get it. We get it. Tommy Hilfiger. We get it. Anyway, um, Spike is not subtle, uh, but this, this was a, um, it was a, it was a very poignant film for the time because, well, I guess you said it was 25 years later, but we're still dealing with a lot of the issues that were raised in this film. And hopefully we'll get to some solutions. God, in my lifetime, man, it's, um, if we had this conversation, you know, during the racial reckoning of 2020, and we spoke about this film, and that was only three years ago. Yeah. It would be as poignant as ever. And we still, there's still a lot of hard truths and conversations in this film, which like hit home for me and I'm sure for others as well. Yeah, I like when they're talking about Hollywood has us figured it out. Rap, rape, rob, riot. You know what I mean? There's still some truth to that. And, you know, even some of the cameos, how about the fact Bernie Mac is in the movie? I totally forgot yeah. Bernie, the late Bernie Mac is on the bus. And perhaps most shocking, Randy Quaid shows up as a Knoxville oh, cop. cop. Yeah. Yes. Now, was that was that pre-Independence Day or post-Independence <laughs> Day? I can't remember. Because he saves the world in Independence Day. It's in right. the same year, 1996. Like, this is so. before Randy Quaid lost his mind. He's just showing up in a Spike Lee joint. Um, fantastic music, as always. Curtis Mayfield, the impressions he's leaning on. People get ready. Move on up. Keep on pushing. Yeah. Stevie Wonder's cover of Redemption Song, which is a great track. Our man Terrence Blanchard's score. Um, but how about this most <laughs> awkward moment? The, the the son and the father. And I agree with you. That's really, again, on the nose with the chain, et cetera. They end up having a fight off the bus, which I didn't care for this scene. I mean, Isaiah Washington's in good shape, but I didn't like the fact Brower got his ass kicked. A little too obvious. The homophobe's going to get his ass kicked by the gay guy, but whatever. They, they end up going in the woods, and the teenage son is telling his father how, you know, you weren't here for me, and mom raised me. And he says his mother taught him how to use a condom. Like just <laughs> that is a reality for I'm sure a lot of people, bro. Moms have to play dual roles when you're growing up in a single parent household. And it's rare that the single parent is the father. So it's, you know, and that's another one of these hard truths in, in our community that some people have to grow up with one parent and a hey, salute to moms. Cause she's yeah. like, listen, I don't want you to come around here with any random babies or anything like that. So this is, this is how, did you, did you laugh at the scene where they're talking? Is so one of the characters, I can't remember his name now, but he's always in Spike movies. He was in Malcolm X, played one of the criminals. He's half, he's biracial. And oh, uh, yeah, the governor, uh, Roger, Roger, Roger Smith, Smith, I think is. Roger Smith, yeah, 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 yeah. And the scene where they're talking about what happened, they got in trouble as kids. And Brower's like, I got in trouble, my mom whipped me. And then the other guy, Jamal, who's Muslim now, former gang members, like, oh, my mom whipped me. And then Roger's like, yeah, I got in trouble. My mom was like, Phew. she was mad at me. And they're like, but he. <laughs> He's like, yeah, she just, she just, she just yelled at me and like scolded me. He's like, that's it, you're not getting anything. And they're like, yeah, okay. And Brower's like, why? He's like, well, you know, it's because your mom's white. He's like, what's after this? He's like, well, because your mom's white. If you had a black mom, you know what it's like. We get hit. Period. Yes, yeah. There's a, there's some cultural differences there, but they're they're all black men. But that's another thing that like, and Spike did this in uh, uh, school days. It's like 
there's colorism is another thing that plagues our community. And, you know, just, I always, I always like to say, if you got a little black in you, you're a black person. Like Tiger Woods, he's a black man, even though he's like, whatever his phrase was, quadriplanation or whatever, right. or whatever it was, like you're still a black man. Like you're, you're, you are how society's going to treat you. And even <laughs> that dude, that character who is obviously clearly biracial, and he's like, oh, my mom probably put me on a timeout in the corner, maybe wearing a dunce cap. That dude is a black person. And, uh, and his, my, one of his favorite, one of my favorite roles, or two of my favorite roles in Spike Lee movies, he yeah. played, God, I can't remember the name of the character, but in Do the Right Thing, he was like, he had like the heavy stutter, smiley. And then in He Got Game, he was like, he was like an agent trying to woo Ray Allen's character, driving around in a nice car, he was just like one of these like leeches off of the system before um, Ray Allen decides what school he's going to go to. But it was just it was just a cool scene where he was like it was the total opposite from Smiley. Smiley, yeah. part of the community, like can't speak to this sophisticated, suave shark in uh, He Got Game. Um, how great is Ozzy Davis's monologue? As you said, one of Spike's favorites. But I remember I hadn't seen it in like twenty seven years. I seen it again. I remember the monologue is great when Ozzy Davis is telling the importance of the Million Man March. Fabulous. Yeah, it, it it was it was compelling, and that sort of that crystallizes the Million Man March. Like having that speech at the the Lincoln Monument, right? Was that was yeah? It, was that the uh, Lincoln Monument? But on the verge of getting there, then Ozzy Davis. Oh yeah, right. Because spoiler alert, he doesn't make it to uh, <laughs> he doesn't make it to DC. Right. But it's yeah, it, it crystallizes the film and and having like the power of that voice of like that actor yeah. to have sort of the emotional and the contextual gravity of the million man mar- March was a smart move by spike. And then if you're looking at your actors, you're like, who is going to have this, who's going to treat this with the right gravitas. I'm sure Andre Brower could do it, but right. he is this like self-absorbed actor, but it's like, it's right. pops. It's the yeah. OG. Like you want, you're summoning the past to fix what we got in the present and, yeah. and moving forward in the, in the future. And um, just for context, like the million man March, was calling for unity and institutional reform, voter registration, which is something which is a hot button topic right now in America. So it was it's poignant, man. It's it's still it still resonates now. And again, last thing, credit to Spike throwing in my man Richard Belzer, also part of the oh, homicide man. cast. He and Andre Brower, because I'm sure Spike felt like, hey, Farrakhan is not universally beloved. He's made some critical comments of Jews. I got Belzer in there. He's like, I'm not going to support this. I'll still like I, I think that's amazing about Spike. He's able to just just cram everything in there to make sure all the sides and voices are heard. Bells was the agreed. Best. Yeah, it was it was it was a pretty honest scene too. Cause I wonder if how many white people would be comfortable in that situation driving <laughs> across the country with, I don't know, 20 brothers going to the million man march. Right. And uh yeah, it was it was a it was a it was a cool scene. One thing I wanted to, you mentioned the music. It's what a juxtaposition. The opening credit sequence is like is a black man in bondage chains. And it's like like shot close up like it's really well shot. And then the juxtaposition is Michael Jackson is singing at the beat. Like you have this beautiful, peaceful, delicate voice singing about moving on from the past. And then, boom, the imagery is like. Yeah. Black, the black man in chains on the arms and the neck. And the, it's like, whoa, like 
Like, you know, you're in a Spike Lee joint because I, as I said, he is not subtle and you're getting it yeah. right from the first frame. Just like, wow, this is yeah. okay. This is how we're starting this. Yeah. It was, uh, no it was question, pretty I really enjoy it. If you haven't checked out Get on the Bus, like Cap said, it's tough to find streaming, but do what I did. Buy it on Amazon or do what he did, actually. Watch it on YouTube in not as great quality, but that's how we get it done. We're going to do sports docs. If Cap was telling me, we're, you know, sports docs are out there right now, untold. I know on the show, on Dan Levitard's show, they've talked a lot about Victor Conti and Johnny Menzel, all the rest of it. So, Richards, hit us up. Five through one, your favorite sports documentaries. I did mine recently oh. with Samson, but I'll, I'll revisit. But go ahead. Do oh, you. You, you guys did a sports doc already? Oh, I missed that one. I'm, my bad, bro. But, but you already uh, know my list. You already referenced one of them. When We Were Kings is on my list. You're, oh, okay. get, you already know at least four of the five on my list. But go ahead. Uh, Don't, just do your list that you can guess mine. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Ken Burns is going to be in there. Oh, exactly. my God. Ken Burns, yeah, Ken Burns baseball is probably number one. Like, but, who's going to watch, a, like, except for you? And then did you include the extra innings in there, too? Or like, nice, the, yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, number five for me is the two Escobars. Nice. And, and, like, I was, it was between Tiger, Hoop Dreams, and the two Escobars. But since two Escobars involves, involves like, murder and maybe one of the most god iconic figures in the last 40 years and i iconic obviously for nefarious reasons but pablo escobar like so it's the two escobars one the player um andreas escobar and then obviously the the kingpin pablo escobar it's like the two tales it's like one is is escobar this uh criminal drug lord uh, of this empire, or is he Robin Hood, who's building soccer fields and soccer pitches in his community, building houses? I mean, he's both. And then it's like the, the you know the Andres Escobar wants to reshape the thought or the perception of Colombia through soccer, and he's a star defensive player responsible for an own goal. I mean, sport. And, and this and this was you know what to put in context. This was the first great ESPN thirty for thirty. Yeah. And that whole series ushered in a new wave and energy for sports documentaries. I think HBO had the, you know, had that corner, they had that real estate for a long time. But then ESPN 30 for 30, and I don't know how many, there's got to be over 100. The catalog is amazing. But this was the first excellent one. And yep. um, that's, the, that's number five. Number four, I'll go through quickly. Tyson. This right. is in 2008. And the director was James Toback. Now, this is Tyson... <laughs> It's first person and he's on, he's the only person on camera and he is telling the most shocking and revealing stories of his life. And this is Robin three Gibbons. years, right? Three years after his final fight. Yeah. And like the most, the thing that I remember, I know this Desiree is for Washington. terrible reasons. Yeah. They got, yeah. He, he talks about getting gonorrhea from a woman and like how, like how it, physically affected his body burning and whatever all this we're just like what like talk like he is the most transparent by far of yeah. of athletes that we've ever known in uh in our lifetimes okay so tyson speaking, speaking three, of spike how about the fact spike did a stage show with mike tyson to bring it back yeah to a few yeah. years later yeah, yeah he kind of after the hangover yeah he, and like appearances on jimmy kimmel he had like this kind of rebrand it's this sort of friendly friendlier figure not quite huggable but friendlier and then yeah he did like a stage i think it was in new york for a long time um and then uh so number three is when we were kings as nice. you've people can go find that uh that local hour of the lebertard show to hear your your three but that uh, was Lee, a movie that, that was a movie that we saw in the theater a documentary that we had to go see in the theater yeah. and obviously you know it's it's probably ali's most famous fight against george foreman and salute to you i haven't seen big george yet and uh 
And you, you are just my need friend, to see the five minute scene that I'm in. That's it. Five minutes and you're good. I'm gonna I'm gonna purchase it so no, that it's on no, Netflix. I'm gonna purchase it. I'm gonna purchase it. It's probably 25 bucks on on YouTube <laughs> or whatever. And and watch. I have a flight tonight, so I will. But I'm going to purchase it. So salute to you as one of the uh, ringside announcers for that. But that was that fight, right? Yeah, it was me and Robert Flores got to call the fight, which is awesome. How great is Norman Mailer when we were kings? He's like, Ollie looks at him. He's like, I'm going to dance. I'm going to dance. Like he and George Plimpton are like the, the, the guys who like to me capture all the insanity of what was happening. The fact that concerts Norm taking place, Don King. Great. Norman Mailer, one of the great writers of the 20th century. Also yes. around this time, you probably put this on my radar, but one of our favorite books is uh, David Remnick, Remnick, King of the World. I, I was about to mention it's right. It's right. No, no it's over your left, over right shoulder, bottom right. Go to your bottom, bottom right. Bottom. Oh, bottom right. Oh, yeah. yeah it's right here. I, Sorry. I okay. This is an audio medium, but I think you, when we were at Ryerson, you had recommended the book to me and I'd never obviously didn't read it, but yeah. it's because of you that I bought that book. And it's one of my favorite books and it chronicles Ali's life from 64 to 74, yeah. that 10 year period, which had the, yeah. which like changed the world. So yeah, salute awesome. to you. Um, number two is Icarus. Nice. It is about an amateur cyclist who is trying to find a way to boost his personal best personal best in cycling. And he hires the former Russian director of the anti-doping center. So it's like two narratives. It's one, this guy who's amateur trying to like improve his times. And then the second thing is like, he uncovers the Russian doping scandal of 2014. And because it's, it's cut like such a thriller. And at the end, you're not sure if this Russian dude survives. It is very compelling. That's my number two Icarus. It's a a fantastic movie. Salute to Brian Fogel, who wrote and directed it. Nice. Uh, and then finally, number one is OJ Made in America. Wow. It is it is the crowning jewel of the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary series, five parts. I'm sure everybody listening or may, most people listening have seen it. Uh, it was, yeah, the most compelling documentary I've ever seen. And uh, it's just just the, the casual, it's the moment where OJ tells his friend, it's like if Nicole didn't come to the door with the knife, just like, what <laughs> like one of the greatest questions of like the last 30 years in in call in society is like i, I think people if the question is did he do it most people have an answer but like the admission that was i mean among many many moments that were just so revealing and so um mesmerizing uh that's my list I two escobars it. tyson when we were kings icarus and oj made in america did you watch the ryan murphy show the oj show with travolta yeah that was that was very entertaining and yeah. uh and cuba gooding jr as yeah. uh as oj yeah that was very and then david schwimmer as uh <laughs> rob he was robert kardashian i think and like even that just like oh yeah Card oh yeah kardashian like that's right. part of how they came to fame is like her you know her, her dad was you know and then the moment's like kardashian's like oj this is my this is my daughter kim's room like please don't do it here's my daughter kim's room and then that just, you know, it reverberates later for us. Like, oh, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Anyway, right. the was, question that, is, was, that, was a, that was a popcorn series, but very, very entertaining. That's what to say. So Ezra Edelman's OJ Made in America is smart and provocative, whereas that was just like trash, but very entertaining trash. Like I said, very Travolta, yeah. like, right, like Travolta is just just hamming it up. I'm like he's so like he was riveting, but he was a ridiculous performance by Travolta. What was the uh, just his uh, mannerisms? The, the name of the name of the uh, actress who played Marsha Clark. Like after that, oh, oh, I started uh, seeing her in she's everything. She's awesome. Sarah Paulson. 
Sarah Paulson. Yeah, like yeah. she's like blew awesome. up after that. She was Sterling great. K. Brown. Uh, Sterling K. Brown played Christopher Darden. He was fantastic. He was fantastic. It was yeah. a fun show. I like that old cast. Very All fun right, mine show. quickly for those who had missed it. Murderball was my number five. Four was OJ Made in America. Number th- uh, three, one through three, Cab New. Ken Burns Baseball is number three. Number two is When We Were Kings. Number one, I'm surprised you did not include Hoop Dreams, one of our favorites. You know, because the two Escobars involved murder, I was like, murder, I'm going to put the, like, just because the the uh, Andres Escobar, who you know, has an own goal in the World Cup in yeah. the United States, when he returns, so obviously, like, when he returns to Colombia, this guy was killed outside of a club like shortly after. And he probably knew because of the 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 grab the magnitude of the moment of what he he made the right play, sliding right. to deflect the ball away from the goalie, but it just went in the wrong direction. He probably knew his life was at risk and he was killed as a result, which it's, is which is tragic. But, it but just that's the reason. Yeah. I yeah, I put it over Hoop Dreams. But Hoop Dreams is like the first great documentary I ever saw. Favorite Michael Moore documentary. Um, probably Fahrenheit 9-11, even though bowling for Col- Columbine was probably, I mean, it was more emotional, but like Fahrenheit 9-11, just him pulling back the layers of like, of, you know, were we supposed to go for, go to war and like, just, just investigating the military industrial complex and Bush as a president was a, like a cartoon. And then you have Rumsfeld or not Rumsfeld, but um, Dick Cheney behind yeah. the scenes, like Bowling pulling the strings. And it was, um, I think it was, it was more entertaining. Bowling Columbine is obviously like a tragedy, yeah. uh, but in, in many ways, Fahrenheit 9-11 also was a, was a tragedy on a, on a bigger scale. You got a flight to catch, but I do want to know, because you have not seen Oppenheimer yet. Have you rectified that? Have you seen I it? I have seen it. Okay, I've seen it. All right. And thank you for your review. And thank you for not giving away too much. Because usually in your reviews, in the past, I I told you, I've had to fast forward if I haven't seen the movie. Then I'll go back and listen to Cinephile and see if, like, I get some confirmation bias. Whether, like, (laughs) from you. Because if you validate my... Yeah. Uh, my opinion on the film, I, I feel pretty good. Uh, and it, but sometimes, sometimes your ratings are really low. Like you give yeah. a lot of movies two Maple Leafs. Right. You gave the Blue Beetle the other day three Maple Leafs yeah. because you had zero expectations. <laughs> so maybe going into films, you should have lower expectations <laughs> so the films have a better chance of uh, of getting a better rating from you. Because there were some great movies you've given yeah. like two Maple Leafs, like. Yeah. Uh, God, I'm trying to figure one off the off Cody, the Cody Cab pointed out. He goes, whenever you're dismissive of a movie, he goes, you'll say it's fine. He goes, that that's 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 your radar for like that was fine. Like that means like that he didn't care for it. Oh, Too saying a movie is fine is yeah. like like uh, in Whiplash when uh, when uh, your guy J.K. <laughs> J.K. Uh, Simmons yeah. J.K. Simmons says like the worst. I think the worst word in the English nice. language is good or like good no, enough. The worst compliment you can is nice job. So I remember texting Kobe about that. Yeah, I was like Kobe. Have you seen Whiplash? He's like, yeah. I'm like, which character are you? He's like, I'm both. I'm like, what are you? You're both like the kid striving per- for perfection and then the instructor demanding perfection from his students. Right. And I was like, okay, I I, I reacted like, oh, come on, Kobe, give me yeah. one of them. But then when you think about what Kobe <clears throat> meant or the way his persona, he's absolutely both yeah. in relentless pursuit of perfection. Uh, when are we going to see the Kyle Tucker interview? I want to see this. When is this going to be? Uh, it's coming uh, in a couple of weeks, just just around just before playoff time. A great race in the AL uh, AL wildcard, by the way. It's very compelling. AL West is like great. 
Texas is spiraling, uh, but Houston and salute to salute to Kyle Tucker is uh, going the other way. So I don't know if they hang on to the lead in the AL West every day. The, the standings change, obviously, and whether it's yeah. Seattle or Houston and maybe the Jays sneak in there and face Houston, but it's coming. He, and so thank you for measuring my expectations because he was pretty low key. Yeah. And a few times I'm like, oh, man, I need to amp this up because he was. It, it was it was a tough one as far as like performance goes because he's he's pretty straight. Like if if Lovatard was doing the interview, yeah. Lovatard would then acknowledge early how crappy the interview was, <laughs> and that would then provide entertainment for us listening or experiencing uh, experiencing the interview. Just straight up going, he would turn it up to a ten on self deprecation, and then that would make it entertaining. But you're always self referential too. It was great every time I see Austin Eckler. Well, I scored a touchdown yesterday. I was thinking of your interview with him when you're like, hey, my name is Cab. He's like, what? And you're like, I think, I think maybe he called you Gabe or something. You go, Cab, like a bus, you know, Cab. <laughs> like, yeah, or, or like a taxi. Yeah, yeah. It's just easier for people to, to connect those dots. Or Yeah. And by the way, Cody, Mookie Betts, good luck, Charm, is my man, Cabral Richards. Mookie was having an okay season. Cab interviewed him. Boom. Guy's in the MVP race right now. Acuna, right? You interviewed him mid-July, right around the All-Star yeah, break, ever right. since that he yeah. took off. Guys, that's there. right. Well, thank you for that. Well, ho hopefully he sees it that way too. <laughs> so I can get another interview with him. Uh, SN bets always follow cab on Twitter, his Instagram. We didn't even get into music. He's a huge music guy. Every week, the music Monday, you listen to like 10 new tracks. I recommend those. You, you've got to get, got to get him and Mike Ryan together just to talk music sometime. Cause I feel like that would be a meeting of the minds, but you'll be back on the pod. We're going to have you on later to talk. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. We'll do that. At we are, oh my are you gonna do Glenn Gary? Cause you're going to, cause Cody, he kind of, Raised his eyebrow when I told him when Jay Nats came, we went and saw a couple of plays. And Cody's like, oh, you guys went and saw plays? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we're going to tell the story when you and me saw Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Jeffrey Tambor playing. <laughs> you were like literally front desk smacking the stage. Yeah, we, we switched at the intermission, right? I think. No, no. What we, happened was, so I got two really good tickets, like front row Glenn Gary. Yeah. And it was. Uh, it, was Schreiber. it me, you? Yeah, Leah Schreiber was playing. Yeah, Leah Schreiber Tony was playing Roma. Ricky Roma. Pacino's role. Right, Ricky so. Roma. Right, so it's me, you, Jay Nats, and my man Chaconi. And I got two right. great ones, and I got two average ones. And I go, no, no, the three of us love Glenn Gary. Chaconi's kind of like, ah, but he's closer to me. We're friends. I go, all right, you and me will sit there. And you were like, right at the front of you and Jay Nats. You could probably get Liam Schreiber spit on you at some point. Yeah, but didn't we switch, like, at, at the intermission? Because, no. or I did, in did the, I sit there the whole time? You were there, but it was great. I was up in the balcony. But then I saw Pacino. Oh, my gosh. I well, saw Pacino, were... Bobby Cannavale do it. I was, like, 10 rows back. So that was great, too. But. There was a there was a moment where I was literally banging on the stage because Liam Schreiber was so funny. I mean, the writing is incredible, but and they kind of like looked over and I was laughing so loud too because there's so many like laugh out loud moments in that play. Right. But I was I totally violated like the unwritten rules of like audience and performer. Like I was banging on the stage as though I was at a my cousin's friggin' cookout on a sitting at a picnic table laughing about. I, you know, cousin Jamal falling off the balcony and, you know, breaking his ankle or some shit like crap like that. Sorry, it was, it was an indelible moment. I'll never forget my enjoyment of seeing Stupid. it and you enjoying it made it even better. Last thing I'll say, you mentioned Tyson talking about gonorrhea only because I listened to this the other day and I'm sure you listened to the show, the uh, the sueys for nominees for just uh, I don't even know how to describe it. But is he good here as mentioned that he got a circumcision at the age of 18? And you want me to comment on that? No, I just, I, I, <laughs> I mean, well, I simply right, want to point what? out, I'm, 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 let me phrase it this way. What do you think is more stunning? Tyson discussing gonorrhea on camera. Oh, and no, James Tyson, Tyson. Or, like, or, or, or is he is mentioning a circumcision at the age of 18? 
was that the penis episode? There was an episode where they were like, it was one, like you talked about penises for most of it. And then the you next thing he had to specific. like, he apologized for how much penis talk there was uh, when Dan was away. You got to be more specific on the penis episode. We've had a few of those. So. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, it was, it was when Dan was away and I can't yeah. remember what particular day it was after it was Dominique was the guest host for yeah. the first week. And then Izzy the second week. Yeah. Maybe it was the Tuesday show. I'm not sure. But Wednesday <laughs> he apologized for it. We share a lot. Uh, <laughs> you do. And that's part of the reason why so many millions of people love the Levitard show. Millions of people love Cabral Riches as well. Make sure you support Cabby. Twitter, Instagram, you can see his work as always on sports. As I mentioned, he's always doing segments and features as a part of Blue Jays baseball games and hockey in Canada. Most importantly, he's a dear, dear friend of mine. This was awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Virk. I appreciate nice. it. And I will listen to the next 2,000 cinephile <laughs> episodes that you will record. Your loyalty is unquestionable. Nice job, Cabby. Thank you, get, sir. Get it? Because it was like... That was a bad compliment you guys said. That was a callback to the night. Oh, oh there you yeah. That's, that's Pretty good callback, yeah. All right, once again, thanks to Cabby. As always, you can support his work. And uh, he's a huge fan of you guys, Cody. You're going to meet him in, at Miami. He's got a lot that to say cool, about everyone. That was cool, man. It, I, I've heard of this guy. It's so funny when people that – this is a successful man, and he's like a big fan of our show. It's always weird. Oh yeah, he's got a lot in of in a good way. It's just guys. like it's flattering. It's like yes. really cool. flattering is the word you're looking for because he's genuine. Trust me, if he didn't like it, he'd tell you. Um, it's always fun whenever I'm on the Dan Lebertard show, and so as we close things here on Cinephile, in case you had missed it, Dan now getting up to speed with me taking down lids. Take a listen to this. I don't know what the audience's experience is with Adnan Verk. He is the consummate professional. He is a broadcaster's broadcaster. And I think he is a kind and generally decent man, but don't enrage him. And I don't think people know this side of Adnan Verk. Maybe Chris Cody does. Perhaps Chris Cody, the producer of Cinephile, can tell me that he has seen a rabid Adnan Verk just chew somebody up. I think of Adnan Verk's two guys. There are a few people like this in the media. Tim Kirkshin is one of them, just a nice and decent person. Everybody likes him. And Adnan Verk is in that realm, very personable and easy to get along with. But he has gone to Twitter and he has flamed a company. Adnan Verk is enraged. He says, worst customer service experience of my life. Bought this hat, which is $45 plus. I was unaware another $14 for the ridiculous embroidered back logo. I tried to exchange for a hat without the logo and was told no returns or exchanges ever. I'll never shop here again. <laughs> wow. At Lids. He wow. lit up Lids. I'm not sure why Cody happened to pop up now, but I'm thrilled. I'm glad that Dan is now taking my case it's, against Lids. It's a classic Dan move to reference something that you talked about six months ago on the podcast. Because I, it, it, he rattled me with that. I was like, did he tell another story about Lids? Is Dan <laughs> referencing an episode that was six months ago? What's happening here? Either way, a great Lids story by you, no doubt. Fantastic. And uh, Stugatz is wrong. Actually, Stugatz, yeah, Stugatz is wrong. He said he'll probably go back. I have not yet, but I don't have I don't have a grudge against him anymore. Again, if you missed the whole story previously, they sent me four free hats, so I'm good with them. But I I have not been back since. I'll probably go at some point. We'll see. I just love the fact Greg Cody has a has a case against manatees, but that's a story for another time. You can listen to the podcast <laughs> and hear about that. Thanks for supporting Cinephile. Next week, Finest Kind is a new movie from an Oscar winner. Brian Halgland is his name. He won an Oscar for L.A. Confidential. His film just premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, so I interviewed him that is coming up next week and until then I'll see you at the movies.